Galatians chapter 3, verses 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the eternal, under the elemental spirit, spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir also. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Are you observing special days and months and seasons and years? I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Hi, everyone. Oh, see, I'm Johnny. Um, I don't know if I'm the, the, I certainly shouldn't be, but I might be the first to announce to parents that sadly we don't have uh, children's provisions today. So um, if that's news to you, apologies. Uh, we're just happy to have them all in here. I used to be a school teacher, so I'm used to talking over uh, kids. So, uh, so yeah, that's no problem. I've actually got a big thing of juice to make my, my throat uh, go the distance. So um, don't worry about noise or anything like that. There's stuff at the back if you want to take them back there. But anyway, um, it's nice to be here together uh, as we continue through our sermon series in uh, the book of Galatians. And if you've been with us since the beginning, you'll know that, um, that the big idea of Paul's letter to the Galatians was the danger that all churches face then and now of having unspoken laws which hold some believers up as super-Christians while making other Christians feel like second-class citizens. And these hidden or unspoken ways of doing things um, can discriminate on the basis of any number of things, whether it's um, personality type or Christian maturity or class or race, background, stage of life, you name it, there can be um, that kind of thing going on. And Paul has shown that because we are all saved by God's grace, the idea of having any kind of privilege or disadvantage in the church is nonsensical as much as it is sinful. And Paul has kind of shone a light on how the Galatian Christians in particular were doing this. Those in the, in the church from Jewish descent, even the Apostle Peter, were living out a belief that because God had first and foremost revealed himself to the Jews, that somehow even in the church they were kind of top dogs now, right? And so they were reverting back to the Old Testament law and thereby marginalising the Christians who weren't from Jewish descent, that is, the Gentiles. And Paul's been absolutely fuming about it. And as we saw last week, the Old Testament law was temporary, but the promise of grace to all the nations was from the beginning and has now come in Jesus. And so whether Jew or Gentile, we're all set free 
from the Old Testament law. And I guess over this time, um, Johnny and I have been quite, um, we've taken this case study of privileging Jewish Christians and we've asked questions about how we may be making the same kind of mistake in our own church and lives in 21st century Birmingham. And yet in today's passage, Paul actually zooms out from the Jew-Gentile case study to show us that this tendency to use certain laws to approve some and disapprove others isn't just a Jewish issue. It's a human issue that exists in every culture, every society, indeed in every human heart. That is, we are born seeking after rules which might set ourselves above others, which may put ourselves in a position of privilege, which may lift ourselves up whilst putting others down. And I just want to use a funny example to illustrate this. We've got the kids in. Uh, Kids, if you want to just come to the front again, don't worry if you don't want to come, but I think you might want to come. I think you need to come and help me out with something. Okay, so if you're a child, Jossie, um, Hallie, um, Hallie, I'm definitely going to need you. Um, head down into the Bible, so spiritual, right? Come over here. Just sit on the in the, on the floor in, in the front of me here. Now, I have got some of you may know three children, and I I really love my children. Um, Josh, Josh, your child number one. You stand up. Um, where's Hallie? Oh, you're here. Hallie, you stand up. Now, I really love you. Where's number three? Maybe she could come to the front as well. She looks really game, doesn't she? I I love my children, and so I've got some chocolate that I want to give them. It's the same chocolate. You can see it's the same chocolate. Dairy milk is my favourite. So, um, one's a bit bigger, but that doesn't matter, does it? So, uh, Joss, Joss, um, which one of the chocolates would you like to choose? Are you joking me? (laughs) They always say never use kids in illustrations, and this is why. Um, Okay. Do you really want the smallest one or do you want the biggest one? Why do you think you should get the biggest one? Oh, my word. <laughs> this was so thought... Okay, put your hand up if you... Th- okay, Ben, do you think Josh should get the biggest one? Why do you think he should get the biggest one? He, he's the biggest kid, isn't he? He's, and Hallie, which would you choose? Come on, don't throw him under the bus here, love. Yeah, all right! You choose the big one. Now, why do you think you should get the big one? Yeah, I know. Uh, so who, who thinks Hallie should get the big one? Who thinks, Louise, why do you think Hallie should get the big one? Okay, she's the middle. Okay, I was hoping you might say ladies first, but that's okay. Um, and uh, Lois, uh, which one would you like? Yeah, well, what, 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 why do you think you want the big one? You can't even talk. You definitely don't deserve the big one. You're, you're probably the least competent, so surely that means that you should have the small one. Okay, now, guys, at the end of today's sermon, I'm going to show you the answer. Who's going to get the big one? Who's going to get the small one? On the basis... Oh, you! Okay. Well, at least someone's not throwing me under the bus. But um, you go go off back to your seats, and we'll see who gets the big one and the small one at the end of the sermon. Okay. Now, notwithstanding a slightly um, unhelpful uh, response uh, from, from Joss, you see, deep in all of us from childhood... (laughs) <laughs> it is the notion that some... <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, sorry. You'll get some in a sec, Howells, don't worry. Um, 
is that some people deserve more than other people. That just lives deep in us. So Joss is the biggest. Hallie is, is, is maybe ladies first. Um, maybe Lois is the cutest. I don't know. Whatever criteria we might use, we, we, we kind of weigh up who deserves what on the basis of those criteria in play. And we take those unspoken systems of hierarchy into adulthood. So everyone instinctively operates by some kind of ladder. And Paul has a pretty weird name for this tendency towards hierarchy, which exists in every human culture, society, and heart. Have a look at that. Keep your Bibles open. Have a look at the end of verse 3 of chapter 4. The end of verse 3 of chapter 4. He calls it... (laughs) Does she want a Freddo? (laughs) There you go. Joss, you hold on. He, call, he calls it the elemental spiritual forces of the world. The elemental spiritual forces of the world. Now, what does that mean? Well, again, like this is quite a hard thing to translate, and Paul uses it in kind of different ways across different letters. But in the context of Galatians, this phrase here is for the unspoken laws that we all use to privilege and promote some while relegating others. And note that they have a spiritual element, that Satan himself is at work, not only working these privileges into individual hearts, but also into cultures and in institutions, into power dynamics, which promote sinful prejudice and foster inequality. And the worst thing of all is that like so much of Satan's work, this is completely hidden from us. It's hidden to us even in the church. And so if you're a note taker, here is the one point of our passage that I really want to drum home today, that there is only one way to resist such hidden prejudice and superiority complexes in our hearts and our churches, and it's this, being adopted as children and heirs into God's family. That is my one point today. Only adopted children of God are set free to resist privilege and prejudice. And to illustrate this, Paul uses the analogy of a household, a home, a big big home. So have your Bibles open. Have a look with me from verse 1 of chapter 4, where he introduces the household metaphor. He says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage... He's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Now, I just have to briefly mention at this point that when Paul uses the word slave there, he's not referring to the evil practice of of, um, human trafficking, past and present. To better capture what he means, think, think kind of Downton Abbey. Right now, I've never watched Downton Abbey, but I'm told that there's like, you know, there's like household servants, and then there are children. There are there are there's kind of levels of hierarchy within the home, and the Greek word there for slave is actually just that: it's bond servant. So Paul isn't dealing here with the issue of human ethics, whilst we could talk about that for many weeks, especially from a Christian point of view, but he's talking about social status. 
He's talking about social status to make his point. So have Downton Abbey in your mind as you roll with this son-slave metaphor. Paul says, think of a child in Downton Abbey. Think of a child in this big family home. He or she will one day inherit their parents' estate. But even though the inheritance will one day be theirs, they're still a child. They're no better off than the household servant. The estate isn't theirs, just as it isn't the servants. The inheritance is guarded from the child by trustees until the time that the parents have set, ordinarily, when they die. But look at verse 3, where he, he makes the link. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Paul is saying that, Before we become Christians, without having access to God's inheritance, we too were underage, unable to free ourselves from, there's our phrase, the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Before Christ, we could only live for ourselves. We were bound to set ourselves above others using our preferences and privileges. This is just the way the world works, right? This is the way the world around us works. And yet it is the thing that Paul is saying should never exist in the church. And without Christ, it's the thing that we are bound to. We were held fast by the lies that our culture and our society tell us. You know, you do you, we hear. Got to look out for number one. Don't let anyone tell you what you should be doing. You see, those lies appeal to us. They have an appearance of wisdom, and yet they enslave us to ourselves. They enslave us to lives trying to find identity and meaning and satisfaction in ourselves, somewhere that we'll never be able to find those things that we seek after. Before Christ, we looked for an identity in our jobs or in our clothes or in the tribe or subculture that we belonged to. But in championing and assuming one kind of identity, we can only do so by establishing an identity hierarchy in line with our choice, thereby subjugating others downstream. We, we, we weren't free to find true purpose and satisfaction in the God in whom it can actually be found. We could only look for it in places that could never give it to us. Relationships, sex, money, status, career, productivity, success. And yet there was always someone, wasn't there, who had more of what we were looking for. Someone who was further down the path that we wanted to be down. And so our hands were tied to chains of, of bitterness, maybe even hatred at some times, marginalising those who had what we wanted. In our minds, maybe, but in our actions, quite likely. You see, without Christ and without his inheritance, says Paul, we are enslaved to this kind of life. Where else can we find identity and meaning and satisfaction apart from seeking what our self-centred hearts most naturally gravitate towards? Ourselves. This is what Paul means when he says, as those underage unable to take, of God, take hold of God's inheritance, we were enslaved to the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But, verse 4, see that word there? 
But, so whenever we read the word but in the New Testament, we know something good is coming. Read verse 4 with me. But when the time had fully come, verse 4, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem. That means to set free those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. When do people receive inheritances? Isn't it upon the death of a relative, normally? You see, God the Son was born of a woman. That is, he became a human being in order to die so that we would have access to the Father's inheritance that we didn't have before he died. And of course, unlike household servants, it is only family members who get the inheritance. So this is why Christ died, in order to adopt us as children of God, as God's own children, we are no longer mere household servants, but sons, brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ and co-heirs with him of God's full and eternal estate. That's the inheritance. Brothers and sisters, it's been, it's been said that adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. Do you think of God primarily as a cosmic lawgiver? A kind of heavenly rule setter waiting to see you fail to the law that he has set? Or maybe you see him as a father, but you equate him to your own father who always had a frown. You can never quite get his own approval. One you could never please. But friends, this is not the true and the living God. The true and the living God is one who before all else describes himself as a father who lovingly adopts children into his family in order to share everything that the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, enjoys with you. There is nothing that Christ has that God has not or will not share with you. Two weeks ago, I don't know if you're here, we were blessed by Rich and Rachel Hendrickson, um, along with their four kids. They came to church. Many of you will know that they are going to be with us full time, working and serving alongside us from May. Uh, but after the service, I was chatting with Rich um, and he was telling me about his adopted son, Manu, um, and, and a bit about his history before Rich and Rachel adopted him just a few weeks ago from southern India. Now, Manu's life in an orphanage in India was not as bad as it could have been for many um, in, in similar circumstances around him. But he did go years without proper medical attention. Um, he went years without proper attention. Um, and he didn't have a family to call his own. The conditions were harsh. But at that point, um, uh, but, but at that point in the conversation, what happened was that this man who just out of nowhere just ran up and he just looked up at Rich and he just put his hands up like that and Rich just gathered him in to his embrace and, and Manny just wrapped his five-year-old's arms around him. He, he was safe and he just bedded in his, his head into Rich's big, like, manly chest and it was just like this, this amazing, like, image. He didn't check to see, oh, dad, could I, have I been good enough? Have I met some of your standards before I can have a hug? No, Rich just smiled and just gathered him up into his arms. 
And I'll, I'll be honest with you, in that moment, in fact, some of you might have seen me, I really struggled to hold back the tears. I didn't actually hold back the tears. I, I think I cried. Because, because here, here in front of me was the Bible's best analogy of how my father relates to me and how your father relates to you. We were goners. We were left to a life devoid of hope, living for ourselves in the dust of futility and despair. And yet when Jesus died, our adoption papers were signed for in his blood. But that wasn't it. From that point, we joined the household of God, taken up into the Father's embrace and given a seat around the family table with a new brother, our Lord Jesus Christ, and with new siblings in the church, all with a new identity of beloved children without threat of falling out of God's favour. You see, your adoption papers are signed You are indeed sons, not slaves. You are indeed children, sons and daughters of the Most High God. The highest privilege of the gospel. Read with me from verse 6 of chapter 4. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. How does your adoption as God's children set you free from the elemental spiritual forces of the world? How does it redeem you from living for yourself, creating systems which promote you and relegate others from causing divisions in the church along the lines of your preferences or privilege? Well, perhaps we should ask Micah. Where's Micah? He's got the words tattooed along his arm, son, not slave. Right? So maybe we should ask you. But actually, what I'm going to do, I said at the beginning, I was going to invite at least my children up to the front. So Joss, Hallie and Lois, if you want to come back up to the front, and where's Hallie? You might get something you want now. Okay? Oh, Joss has gone for a wee. He's really thrown me under the bus this morning, hasn't he? Um, so... It's not going to work without him. So, Hallie, let's, let's ask you. Does mummy, do mummy and daddy give you treats? Yeah. And do we give you treats only when you're good? <laughs> Never work with children. You did tell me this. This is going to go wrong. Come on, Joss. Come over here. Joss, Joss, what, why, why do mummy and daddy give you treats? Because we love you, exactly. And do we only give you treats when you behave well? Do we give you treats even when you don't behave well? Yes, we do. <laughs> I might as well have Hallie, to be honest. <laughs> okay, and so this is like what our Father does, our Father God does for us. Are you going to have it? He gives us something even better than what we had before when we were trying to create our privilege ourselves. So you go and have that. And do you know what? You're going to share that with all the children because we are all God's children in, in God's family. So those aren't just for you. They are for all the kids, okay? So, okay, illustration working or not, all right? This is what God the Father does for his children. 
He does not discriminate on the basis of how we so often discriminate on the basis of I'm older, I'm bigger, I'm more like this, this is my social standing, this is my this, this is my that. Whether we are great or small or however, he gives us good gifts because we are his children. Now, wouldn't it have been crazy if Joss, Hallie and Lois at that point wanted to return to the former offer? That system of hierarchy where one's trying to claim superiority to get something far smaller. That would have been mad. They've got a bigger, they've got a much better offer now in that big bag of chocolate. Well, this is what the Galatians were doing, reverting back to the Old Testament law to compete for a place at the top of religious hierarchy. And Paul is just whacking his head against the wall, being like, why are you doing that? Look at verse 9. He says, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Madness. Indeed, verse 10 shows us that even though they'd been freed from that way of life and were now children of God, they were still trying to get one up on each other (coughs) through religious observance. And we know, don't we, that even as Christians, we can revert back to our former ways. And to whatever extent we do, we're no longer bound to those forces. Christ has set us free for something far better. Indeed, he's set us free to become children of God. So as we close, I guess, and parents, I will close. (laughs) What does it look like for us to live out our identity as children of God in the church? What does this look like on the ground Well, I think the answer is at the beginning of our passage. I just kind of swapped it round. So look at the, look at verse 26 of chapter three. These are famous verses that you would have heard. From 26 onwards, he says this. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, the ways that people tried to get ahead and exert power in in first century Galatia was very similar to 21st century Birmingham. Paul says that the way that ethnicity divides the world should never divide the church. The the sexism that divides the world should never divide the church. There's neither male nor female. The social class system which divides the world should never divide the church. There's neither slave nor free. You are all children of God through faith. You were baptised into Christ and as the water covered you, You are now covered up in Christ's perfection as clear a picture of your status in God's family having nothing to do with your superiority as any. Indeed, simply to do with the perfection and righteousness of Christ. And you know, these famous verses have tragically been used by Christians to argue against diversity in the church. 
As if Paul is saying here that the beautiful and God-given differences between different cultures or people or between men and women should essentially be done away with, as though uniformity is, the, is God's goal for the church. But that's just to miss the point completely. The Bible champions God's design in our differences, whether cultural or sexual or social. The, the, the point is not that the gospel brings a beautiful uniformity because uniformity is not beautiful. The point is that being adopted as God's children brings true unity in the midst of great diversity and difference. So that's our main point today. Only adopted children of God can truly resist privilege and preference and prejudice. And the place above all where adopted children of God come together is the church, where we all gather as a family around the Father's table to feast on the bread and the wine together, the body and blood of Christ, the Son of God, who died in order to share the inheritance of his full and eternal estate with all those who would come to receive it. Now, there's likely some here today who haven't chosen to do that yet. That's okay. If, that, if that's you, feel no embarrassment in not sharing with us today the family meal of the bread and the wine. That would be the right and consistent thing to do. But for those who, through simple childlike faith in Christ, have become children of God... Remember this, that we all gather around the Lord's table today without any hierarchy. The bread and the wine are the great leveller, showing us that we are all as needy for Christ as each other. So this morning, God invites you to come. There is here neither American or British or Jamaican or Indian Neither is there old or young. There's neither intelligent or simple, neither male nor simple, um, male nor female, neither married or single, pastor or member. There is even neither sinless and sinful because Christ died to wash away our sins. And verse 26, in Christ Jesus, we are all children of God through faith in his blood. So let's eat and drink together. I'm going to invite the musicians up to the front. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. We're going to do this as we always have. There's bread and there's um, juice today. No wine, unfortunately. Um, so take one, take, take two. And, um, but let's, let's stand together as I, as I pray for us as a church. Stand with me if you're able. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we take the bread and the wine, we see each other's neediness alongside our own need, our own need to have our sins forgiven to have our our consciences cleansed. Thank you, Father, that through simple faith in you, we are children. We are all children of you. The cross and this meal is the great leveller where no one has any claim to superiority in your eyes. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that as we take the bread and the wine, you have given us a tangible picture of this truth. In Jesus' name. Amen.